Welcome to today's edition of the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm your host, Lori Boyer. In addition to feature reports, I'll bring you a look at regional and national agricultural news. And the show starts right after this. Hey, it's Jesse Waters from Fox News Channel. Hope to see you at my Ag Night on November 2nd. It's going to be a night you will not want to miss. We're waking up to a new dawn in agriculture, a better way where farmers stop working the soil and start working with it. At Huma, our carbon-rich, humate-based products improve soil health and fertility, deliver nutrients more efficiently, and reduce crop input costs. Welcome to Humic Solutions with a Human Touch. Visit Huma.us to learn more. Each October, California Strawberries celebrates California Farmer and Farmworker Month in honor of their state's hard workers and their commitment to feeding the nation and the world. Growing strawberries is as much about the people behind the fruit as it is about the fruit itself. You can learn more about the people at the Behind the Berries series, which is available at CaliforniaBerries.com. War Room Sellers is pleased to announce our acquisition of the brand from Toad Hollow Vineyards, effective immediately. Toad Hollow Vineyards is a beloved producer best known for their unoaked Chardonnay and was founded in Sonoma County. Toad Hollow joins the War Room Sellers portfolio of wine brands, which also includes Lapis Luna and Bonnie Dune Vineyard from California. As with Lapis Luna, Bonnie Dune Vineyard, and several other brands, War Room will continue to work with Total Beverages Solution as the sales agent for Toad Hollow Vineyards. War Room and TBS have had a successful track record of working together with War Room focusing on wine production and brand position and TBS managing sales and distribution. As the nation celebrates October as National Farm to School Month, there is a video on the California Department of Food and Agriculture's website highlighting the benefits of California's commitment to farm to school programs. The video was created with funds awarded to Slow Money San Luis Obispo's Farm to School Project via the California Department of Food and Agriculture's Farm to School Incubator Grant Program. The SLO project is working towards streamlined ordering processes for school districts from small farmers, as well as providing field trips, nutrition education, and virtual events. Also, stay tuned for more information and celebration about California's farm to school movement as partners from across the school food and education spaces gather for the California Farm to School Conference, which recently concluded. Purple tomatoes, more convenience products, and expansion of sustainable packing options, the appearance of vertical farm booths, and discussing the recent acquisitions in the produce industry. That's just a glimpse of the recent global produce and floral show that was held in Anaheim. It was the first time in four years that the show returned to California. More than 1,100 companies exhibited, and the event brought attendees from more than 60 countries together. Traditionally, the Anaheim show is well attended, as members from the produce industry like bringing their family members to spend time at Disneyland. And next year, the show will be held in Atlanta, Georgia, October 17th through the 19th. The Port of Long Beach achieved its busiest September on record, boosted by consumer demand for holiday-related goods, recent ratification of a labor pact between dock workers and management, and an ongoing effort to showcase the business attributes of the Port of Choice. Dock workers and terminal operators moved 829,420-foot equivalent units in September. That's up almost 12% from the same month last year and surpassing a previous record set in September of 2020 by 78,900 TEUs. September also marked the port's first monthly year-over-year 
year cargo increase in 14 months. Consumer confidence is on the rise and shippers can rely on the port of choice now that they have a ratified contract in place with our waterfront workforce. That according to Port of Long Beach CEO Mario Cordero, he says they are looking forward to a moderate rebound in cargo volume through the end of the year. The 2023 Organic Grower Summit's educational program will feature sessions on ag technology as well as the challenges of organic seed production. As technology and innovation continue to help organic growers produce crops, OGS 2023 will highlight companies at the forefront of ag tech and how growers decide which technologies to use, according to a news release. How organic growers are using ag tech, obstacles and opportunities. We'll explore how growers are using ag tech to improve production while showcasing one of the leading ag tech companies and its work in displacing traditional farming methods. The Challenges of Organic Seed Production Educational Session will provide an overview of how organic seed production has declined over the past few years and how this has been affecting the organic produce industry, according to the release. The two educational sessions are among the eight planned for the OGS 2023. The summit will also have a pair of keynote presentations. As part of the keynotes, the annual Grower of the Year Award will be presented to this year's recipient, Rod Braga, President and CEO of Braga Fresh. The other keynote presentation will be a grower roundtable. It's called the State of Organic Growing, which will include leadership from three prominent organic companies who will be announced soon. OGS 2023 is presented by Western Growers and the Organic Produce Network. It's set for November 29th through the 30th at the Hyatt Regency Monterey Hotel and Spa in Monterey. The 6th Annual Organic Growers Summit is designed to provide information vital to organic growers and producers, including an overview of the opportunities and challenges in the production of organic fresh food, according to the release. For more information, go to OrganicGrowerSummit.com. As California seeks to lead the nation on battling climate change, no debate is bigger than the one over climate credits for cow poop. More than a decade ago, California helped to spark a boom in biofuels produced from plants or animal waste with its first-of-the-kind low-carbon fuel standard. The program forces carbon-intensive fuel companies to pay for cleaner burning transportation fuels. But as the state eyes on electric future, winding down on support for some of the fuels that the standard helped to boost is proving to be highly contentious. The case of biofuel made from dairy farm manure is perhaps Exhibit A of those tensions. The California Air Resources Board is planning an overhaul in its fuel standard, including consideration of a 2040 phase-out of credits that put a premium on using methane emitted by cows to produce natural gas. About half of the state's methane emissions came from dairy and livestock, so collecting the gas as wafting off manure keeps them out of the atmosphere and offers a renewable fuel source. But the paradox is that dairy biogas is used to produce a combustion fuel, which a state is on a path to phase out, especially for cars and trucks. The Air Board is considering a phase-out of the dairy credits because they encourage natural gas production, which emits greenhouse gases. During the New York Climate Week last month, Governor Gavin Newsom launched an international climate initiative aimed at reducing global methane emissions. Under a state law, California must cut its methane emissions 40 percent from 2013 by the year 2030. The reason for the urgency, methane is a potent greenhouse gas that is responsible for up to 30 percent of the world's global warming That is driving climate change. Unlike other greenhouse gases, methane breaks down in about a decade, meaning curbing it could quickly reduce some of the climate change's impacts. 
California's America's dairy capital, with more than 1.7 million cows producing about $10 billion worth of milk last year. But these cows and other livestock in California also produced the climate-altering equivalent of almost 23 million tons of carbon dioxide in 2020. Most of that is methane emitted by cow manure and from their farts and belches. California's strategy for cutting its methane footprint has so far hinged on providing incentives, mostly to the dairy industry. In doing so, the state has spawned a complicated niche industry dedicated to capture dairy methane and selling it as a renewable fuel. California does this through grants for construction of digesters, recovery systems that trap the methane from the manure, and valuable climate credits from its low-carbon fuel standard program. The biofuel produced by collecting methane from dairy and swine manure is used to produce natural gas that powers heavy-duty trucks and other fleets, the equivalent of 21 million gallons of diesel fuel in the first three months of the year, according to Airboard data. Join us for an unforgettable evening with Jesse Waters, co-host of Fox News at the International Agri Center in Tulare, California. Tickets are extremely limited for this one night only experience and they will sell out. Hey, it's Jesse Waters from Fox News Channel. Hope to see you at my Ag Night on November 2nd. It's going to be a night you will not want to miss. Don't miss your only chance to see Jesse Waters here in the heart of California on November 2nd. Reserve your spot now at myaglife.com forward slash myagnite. Northern California pear growers are currently experiencing what might be the start of flat-headed borer infestations in pear orchards, which till now has not been a noted pest for this crop in the state. It is still unclear whether the borer damage seen is that of the Pacific flat-headed borer, a pest seen in other crops throughout the state, including walnuts, during mid to late spring. Clebson Gonsalves, a UCCE farm advisor in Lake and Mendocino counties, explained more about what growers in his area are seeing. What we have seen, like, because the, the, the damage that uh, species can cause on the fruit is very similar for Kalimot, and a lot of growers probably they just was not able to catch that uh, damage. They probably, like, they saw in the orchard, but uh, they were not realize it's something else. They just... Um, misunderstood as a calamot damage. And actually, uh, the, the first person actually identified uh, as a different things, a different pest was Brock Zoller. Uh, probably you guys know as a pear doctor, he's a PCA on the area. He covered like Lake Mendocino and on the Delta area as well. And he's a very knowledgeable guy, and he was the first one to saw that kind of little different. And when he started digging on the fruit, he saw that's something totally different. But uh, in conversation with another growers, they might think they saw, but uh, because of the similarity, they could not say for sure that was a different pass. And... I think it was one of the reasons we we have been put meetings together and talking person growers to let they know about this pest and how the damage looks like it. and if they seen on the field they will be easily able to identify this new pest. Clearly, a potential flat-headed borer epidemic is not to be taken lightly. Gonçalves speculated on what could happen in the future if more pear orchards were affected and the wood-feeding insect was allowed to develop. There is a few scenarios seen in line for the future. 
First thing is because like we had a very unusual year uh, with weather condition, like a lot of rain in um, early spring, like the weather was more cold and could be like a, a, only an accident, uh, isolate accident, and maybe we're not going to see this next year. But uh, we have to be ready and to be prepared for next year to see because maybe is a invasive species something new. As I mean, this we don't know if it's a Pacific flat hair, but it could be like some invasive species that uh, start attack the pair, or maybe could be some forced uh, flat hair, but it's native from the area, but. Uh, as in the past, we had a lot of fire on the area, and maybe this species start migrate from the forest area to the agriculture area and start attacking the fruit. This could be another scenario, but we don't know. It's, uh, all, all that stuff we are talking about is still is not very clean. We still try to figure it out. While UCCE has been holding meetings in Northern California to let growers know what to look for in their orchard with this pest, there's not a lot that can be done on the management side at this time. For the Pacific flat-headed borer, for example, most of what's recommended by UCIPM and older trees consists of pruning affected wood but not spraying any insecticides. If damage from a potential flat-headed borer species is seen again next year in pairs, a needs assessment for further research will be made. If you're listening right now and are a grower or PCA up in Lake or Mendocino counties or know someone who is, UCCE will be holding a meeting to disseminate further information on this potential pest a week from today, November 2nd, via Zoom. Link is in the episode description below. For My Ag Life, I'm Taylor Chalstrom. Smart growers know sustainability means managing pests at the same time they manage other priorities in their fields, which is why smart growers know Certus Biologicals. For more than 20 years, Certus Biologicals has been the world's leader when it comes to biological pesticides, delivering proven solutions that keep operations sustainable and growing. Learn more at CertusBio.com. Less than two weeks after putting a hold on its permit applications, Navigator CO2 Ventures announced Friday the company is canceling its $3.5 billion carbon pipeline project. In a statement, Navigator CO2 pointed to the unpredictable nature of the regulator and government processes involved, particularly in South Dakota and Iowa. Matt Vining, CEO of Navigator, said as good stewards of capital and responsible managers of people, they've made the difficult decision to cancel the Heartland Greenway project. They are disappointed that they will not be able to provide services to their customers and thank them for their continued support. Navigator had planned to run a 1,350-mile route of pipelines to as many as 30 ethanol plants in South Dakota, Nebraska, Minnesota, Iowa, and Illinois, with most of its contracted ethanol plants in Iowa. Those ethanol plants would ship their carbon dioxide through the Navigator pipeline and sink it in Illinois, which would dramatically lower the carbon footprint for those ethanol plants. USA's federal milk marketing order hearing will continue following a recess through the Thanksgiving holiday. Farm News reporter Michael Clements. Peter Vitaliano, National Milk Producers Federation, Vice President of Economic Policy and Market Research, says the hearing is making progress. We're in the last 
topic of five topics. It is moving more slowly than expected because it, it did not finish in time for the original schedule. The facility was not available until four and a half days the week after Thanksgiving, but it was not available beyond that. So there's another five days right afterwards and another facility not very far away. So there's nine and a half days with a chance that it will finish but a chance that it may not. And that's all contingent upon government funding being available. Vitaliano says the hearing was organized around the five proposals from NMPF. But with other related proposals from other groups, and most notably by opposition in those same categories, there has been very strong opposition, primarily from the processing groups. That's the dynamic of the hearing I know the Secretary of Agriculture asked for all the groups to get together, but the producer groups are together. That's the key thing. And producers are the ones who vote for federal orders. But the processor groups, it's a very important constituency because they're the ones that the orders are imposed upon. And so they have a say. And USDA is listening, and they're going to come up with something that will probably give something to all sides. Vitaliano says getting to a vote is a lengthy process. It's a quasi-judicial process where it is presided over by an administrative law judge. And it's formal courtroom procedure of witness testimony, cross-examination, objections, etc. The main difference is that an administrative law judge does not write the decision the way a criminal judge would. The USDA and its marketing specialists are the ones who write the decisions. And we're expecting if the hearing does indeed conclude the end of that the first week in December, the process then goes through a number of steps and a, a vote that would actually implement the orders would be taken toward the end of 2024. While the process takes time, Vitaliano says the modernization is needed. The orders were really designed to operate most effectively when most of the milk that was covered in the order went to the fluid use. The orders are still relevant today, but technically with less and less of the milk in a given order going to fluid, structurally it makes the orders more difficult to operate. So what is done, there's going to be probably some decisions and some issues that have to be examined. In the not-too-distant future, there are going to be some orders with low class one utilizations, but this procedure is bringing the provisions of the orders up to date after being, in many cases, not updated in almost 23 years now. And it'll be 25 by the time the final decision is voted on. Learn more and follow the process online at nmpf.org. Michael Clements reporting. The Mississippi River gauge hit a record low water level on October 11th at Memphis, Tennessee. The all-time low hit 11.52 feet. It surpassed as a previous low of minus 10.81 feet set in October of 2022. The weekly USDA Grain Transportation Report says records were also broken on the Ohio River at Cairo, Illinois. That gauge read 4.5 feet, the lowest river level since 1901. Draft and tow size restrictions are in place along the entire Mississippi River system. Despite some recent rains, more rain will be needed to raise water levels enough to improve the navigation conditions. Water levels are projected to rise by late October and early November, but navigation conditions are not expected to improve before late December or early January. Despite the navigation issues, the recent St. Louis spot freight rate fell for the third week in a row to 23.06 per ton. That is 68% the same week last year. New farm credit system rules will put more emphasis on young beginning and small farmers. USA Ag News reporter Gary Crawford has more. 
As the average age of farmers approaches 60, the Farm Credit Administration and the ag lenders it regulates have for the last few years been wrestling with this question. What can we do to help and assist uh, young beginning and small farmers? Farm Credit Administration board member Glenn Smith says the answer to that question is in some upcoming new rules for lender associations. Generally, the rules require lenders to improve their current young beginning and small farmer lending programs and to actively reach out to a more diverse group of potential borrowers. Now, yes. Obviously, it's more efficient to go out and lend to a large, established, mega-million-dollar operation as opposed to a dozen small loans. But in order to ensure the prosperity and the growth of future generations, we must have that outreach. Smith says this is certainly not going to solve all the problems young farmers face. But it is a good step in the right direction. The new rules take effect February 1st. Gary Crawford for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Fifteen Farm and Ranch Women Leaders graduated from the fall session of the Women's Communication Boot Camp hosted by the American Farm Bureau Federation. The Agricultural Leaders completed an intensive four-day course that featured sessions focused on public speaking, working with the media, and messaging. Program graduates will use this training to support Farm Bureau's priority issues. This includes participating in local media opportunities, sharing information with elected officials, and joining social media campaigns spotlighting modern agriculture. Agriculture needs strong advocates who are willing to step up and share their stories at the local, state, and national level, according to Isabella Chisholm, chair of the Women's Leadership Committee. The Women Farm Bureau leaders who completed this training are poised to creatively use their skills in a broad range of settings. The program has a total of 284 graduates over 19 years and is open to all women involved in a Farm Bureau. Milk production in a 24 major dairy states during September totaled 17.5 billion pounds, up slightly from September of 2022. August revised production at 18.1 billion pounds was 0.7% below August of 2022. The August revision represented a decrease of 73 million pounds, or 0.4% from last month's preliminary production estimate. Production per cow in the 24 major states averaged 1,960 pounds for September, three pounds above September of 2022. The number of milk cows on farms in the 24 major states was 8.91 million head, 16,000 head less than September of 2022, and 2,000 head less than August of 2023. Milk production in the July through September quarter totaled 56.1 billion pounds, down 0.7% from the July through September quarter in 2022. The average number of milk cows in the United States during a quarter was 9.38 million head, 43,000 head less than April through June of 2023, and 33,000 head less than 2022. JCS Marketing is your number one way to connect with the ag industry. Through print magazines, digital media, podcasts, and live and virtual events, JCS Marketing has the reach to inform, educate and influence growers in the western united states everywhere you go you see west coast net magazine on every one of my customers tables so that tells you everything that's that it's there so they're reading our my ag life platform includes podcast interviews and digital articles for busy professionals on the go Our live events, continuing education webinars, and virtual conferences help growers connect with leading researchers and industry leaders. Let JCS Marketing help you connect. That will wrap up today's show. You've been listening to the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm Lori Boyer. From all of us here at the JCS Marketing team, thank you for listening. (laughs) 